0: You're listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast presented by NCQA. Hi everyone, I'm Matt Brock. Welcome to another edition of Inside Healthcare and this one is a special one. Today, our Public Policy Vice President, Frank Michike, interviews the one and only our President, Peggy O'Kane. It's a first-time appearance right here on Inside Healthcare. We know we enjoyed it, we hope you will too.
1: All right, well Peggy O'Kane, President of the National Committee for Quality Assurance, it is a pleasure to be co-hosting, I guess, your first podcast with uh, Inside Healthcare, NCQA's uh, podcast, burgeoning podcast, up to uh, 14, 15 episodes now, and we intend to meet with Peggy at least quarterly to get her observations on all things healthcare and healthcare quality. Uh, It's an exciting time. I guess it's always an exciting time in healthcare because things are always changing. Um, One thing I'd like to start off with and that maybe uh, try and make a regular feature of our podcast is just sort of a quick tour around the headlines and um, get your take on it, uh, on uh, items big and small. A couple things came up today as I was thinking about what we might talk about for headlines. The first was um, the... Trump administration has issued an RFI for great ideas on how to implement their proposal or, or at least the potential policy of uh, selling healthcare across state lines. This is um, a conservative staple, um, one that frankly has never really been articulated or, and certainly has never been implemented with any amount of success. I know I'm skeptical of um, whether it can be done, if only because if it could be done, it probably would have been done. There's in fact a a piece in the Affordable Care Act that allowed for states to enter into compacts that would have allowed this. Your quick thoughts on uh, the prospects? In
2: in some ways, I think it's kind of moot because most most employers are self-insured and they're exempt from the regulatory process of the states. So commercially insured insurance, um, except for like small purchasers, like we're fully insured, um, it, it's really dealing with a small piece of the whole action. Um, I do worry that it, it opens another possibility of skinning down benefits. And I think we're already at a point where benefits, the, the, the total benefit package doesn't make sense for most people. Mm-hmm i don 't know what percent I just heard that you know seven out of ten people never file a claim during the year because they don't get to the deductible, and that's like it's like a tax that you get nothing for yes um so i I just worry that and you know we we've we've been through a history of selling ridiculous, we used to call them art link letter plans in the old days um But, you know, like insurance policies that don't cover hospitalizations and so on. I mean, there's a reason we have insurance. We're mortals. We get sick. And health care is really expensive. So we need to have insurance, and we need to have meaningful insurance that actually protects people. And I think the public understands that. You know, there has been a a kind of a public education process going on. Um, People do get it that, you know, why am I paying— for, or is my employer paying for this insurance and I never get coverage. Sure,
1: and that's certainly been part of the debate in terms of the ongoing uh, feasibility of the Affordable Care Act and mm-hmm. some of the plans that are being offered on the Obamacare exchanges. Mm-hmm. Um, another quick headline I wanted your uh, thoughts on, the Judiciary Committee in the House is holding a hearing on uh, how to promote competition in healthcare or maybe more uh, to the point where we are <laughs> in terms of promoting competition in healthcare, just quickly, what yeah, are your thoughts on that?
2: I wish, I wish. I think there are certain contexts where competition actually works, and uh, I would point to the Medicare Advantage program. Uh, in a market that has a lot of options, uh, there are differences in quality, and um, I think when when the government tied differences in quality. To extra money for extra benefits for enrollees, or beneficiaries in this case, um, they made it kind of like it's a better buy to buy a high-quality plan. And so people who have often been mystified by quality, they understand stars, and they understand, hey, this this policy might cover my reading glasses or my glasses or my um, my uh, hearing aids or you know there are other benefits that they can offer. So. I think that was the the one example that I've seen, and there have been other examples. Employers used to do it like that, um, too. I mean, General Motors, for example, used to have an array of choices. As I said, they're all self-insured now, and there's one plan. Um, I think the market in healthcare is like a unicorn. I don't think it exists. Um, You know, when they're buying healthcare on a day-to-day basis, they rightfully understand not that much is at stake. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to the doctor for, um, you know, even even if I have a broken bone or something, it, it, it's usually something manageable and so forth. They're going to go where their friends tell them to go or where their primary care doctor, if they have one, told them to go. Um, and they're not really going to want to go look at ratings. And, and by the way, we don't have ratings for a lot of providers. So um, I, I think... We don't even even if we really believed that people would take the time to do it, it I, I don't believe it would happen. but we don't even have the infrastructure for that at this point.
1: Yes. okay, well, stay tuned, folks. That'll be um, another area where uh, I mean I, you and,
2: know I think you know our part of our founding is b- premised on the fact that if people have information about quality, they can follow it. but it's not necessarily the consumer that's the lead agent. And, you know, health plans can be market makers, for example. Sure. By trying to steer people to, you know, if you need a hip replacement, we know there are differences in quality in the places that do them. And, um, you know, to me, it makes a lot of sense for a plan to try to Gently steer people, you know, maybe by enhanced coverage or something, to the better providers. Well,
1: and that may be a good segue for what is our main topic today, which is the future of digital healthcare, and specifically, in our case, the future—what the future of digital healthcare means for healthcare quality. Right. Uh, I think the ability to, particularly at the provider level, uh, track and assess and evaluate performance probably hinges on some of the advances in digital healthcare that we're seeing, ideally that NCQA is helping to drive, but it is a big lift. And yeah. we're unfortunately I think still a long way from where some of us might have hoped we'd be by this point. Um, and maybe that was always a little Pollyanna.
2: This yeah, is, the Gartner hype cycle comes to mind. Yeah. But we're definitely in a in a valley of despair at the moment <laughs> i think um i do feel optimistic that we'll eventually get there i mean i think one of the things that bothers me is at what cost you know if everybody is out there trying to solve the same problem in different ways it just there's a, a lack of uh, any kind of economies of scale or you know and i think the worst part of it is the impact on the frontline practitioners Um, I mean, it's shocking to me that practitioners have to come, you know, they see patients all day and then they have to spend extra hours in the evening entering the data. It's horrible. Um, And it doesn't need to be like that.
1: So, and that's sort of the double-edged sword, I think, Uh, the... Uh, promise of digital healthcare, of introducing technology to healthcare, has been that actually things would get easier, um, that we'd get focused on the most important items, that we'd be able ideally to pull uh, information from existing uh, records, or at the very least not create new data entry requirements as Mm -hmm. part of it. But we haven't come close to that. In fact, everything you hear Uh, on the uh, provider side is that uh, doctors are burnt out and sick and tired of all of the reporting they have to do. Given that and given the, um, I guess, unintended consequences or at least the lack of progress on on that front, what do you think is going to get us there? What's going to get us over the hump or maybe, and I have a thought here and so this might be a leading question, who's going to get us there?
2: Yeah. Well, it's kind of a big we is the problem. So our piece of it, I think, um, is quality measurement, and um, you know we're currently in a very unsatisfactory situation with quality measurement because if if I'm a frontline practitioner, I'm often getting even information back on how am I doing with my patients, you know, scores and so on. Um, But really, the solution isn't about like the doctor. Um, Sometimes it is, but in general, I think we need to really have a measurement strategy that um, is encouraging the kind of team-based, system-based care that we know is more efficient that frees doctors from doing kind of a lot of Mickey Mouse stuff to do the things that they are highly trained to do. And we do highly train our doctors. And people want to know that their doctor is is kind of looking at the whole situation.
1: Over a billion dollars was spent. Yeah. Uh, getting uh, electronic health records in the hands of virtually yeah. every provider yeah. in yeah. the country, every hospital. Yeah. How would you assess that investment uh, now? Yeah. Uh, Ten not, years out, not
2: so great. Um, I'd give it a C minus or maybe even a D. And I, you know, that's easy for me to say with the benefit of 2020 hindsight, right? Which we all have. Um, But there were, I mean, as we look back, and, you know, there are many, many things written about how we got here. One of them was that we were in a fee-for-service environment. Uh, The medical record was designed to optimize billing, not to optimize the process of care. Um, Because medicine was so decentralized and people had their own, every physician had their own, uh, process mm. even within systems. there was a lot of customization that the EHR companies did, which is what the customer wanted and yet when you take that and it doesn't add up to something that's coherent. So, so there we're, were there were kind of obstacles in the way. I think there were politics about certification of EHRs. Uh, I think the bar was set too low and you know I mean people politics is real. And you can't you can't really blame people um, for doing what they kind of had to do, and so I think that's you know that's all kind of water under the bridge. So I think we need to look forward about you know how are we going to get to the promised land? Yeah. You know.
1: So what does that look like from NCQA's perspective in your mind?
2: Well, I think from what we can do, um, one of the things we're working on is our data and measures roadmap, as you know. We've observed that HEDIS measures at the plan level are, you know, we we have tight specifications. The plans report them according to those. We can make fair comparisons. That's why the STAR system works. But in order to get those results, there are all these practitioners out there that actually have to deliver. And what we found is that people are translating our tight specifications Into all kinds of different interpretations, as people will do. And so we're trying to take the specification process down the line so that, you know, when I go speak to doctors, I won't get a question like, okay, I'm a primary care doctor at Hopkins, I get scored as a doctor as part of an ACO and as part of a health plan. So the specs are different, the clinical logic is different. What am I supposed to do? So that kind of stuff I think we're trying to work on. It is really complicated because of the data situation and the lack of interoperability. So we're doing a lot of planning. We're talking to customers, you know, talking to health plans, talking to people in delivery systems. And it is a, it's a daunting journey, but it has to be taken. So I feel good that we're trying to walk up to the challenge but we're gonna need help from plans, from uh, leading delivery systems that want to really kind of help us pilot these things. We're gonna to have to do a lot of listening and we're planning to do a lot of that. And where we wind up may be a little different than where we think we're going mm-hmm. at the moment but I'm kind of used to that. That's, I was going to say, that's a
1: <laughs> basic lesson, I would imagine, of the it remarkable is. journey you've had through healthcare. Whoever quality. said, don't
2: get ahead of your headlights, <laughs> that's brilliant. And yet your headlights don't shine very far into the future.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but you'd be lost without them. Right. Uh, so let me ask, along those lines of who, uh, you know, the large we, as you described it, and who we need help from or need to listen to, ONC in particular has recently been uh, driving hard on the issue of yeah. um, data availability, mm-hmm. interoperability and visibility, mm-hmm. I guess access to data and mm-hmm. that can can be at the patient level. Mm-hmm. I think that's an exciting if um, somewhat um, uh, long journey that they're launching. Yeah. Uh, the idea that folks can control their own healthcare data that comes with all sorts of complications, but yeah. it's something people are, um, at least uh, interested in advancing, um, but they have also uh, attempted to open the some of the uh, data that's been under lock and key as a mm-hmm. result in some cases of the EHR systems that were set up right. um, uh, back in uh, when that money was flowing from the feds. So uh, ONC is is pushing on that front. Do you think it seems to me that CMS as uh, a leading, if not the leading payer, um, in this in the, the healthcare market. no yeah. question,
2: yeah.
1: Uh, as the leading payer in the healthcare market, has a unique role, and yet all of the things you mentioned in terms of politics and pressure and the various constituencies involved in moving to this digital healthcare future uh, are very real for them. Yeah. So how do they balance that and? If you could wave a magic wand and maybe alleviate some of those realities or pressures, um, what would you love to see them do that would really move the ball forward here?
2: Well, I think immediately of the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation and kind of piloting kind of ideas that look like they might be able to be breakthrough. Um, You know, I think I'm pretty convinced that we could find some plans, and some uh, delivery systems in the same locality that might be willing to go on this journey with us. Um, But it will be expensive, and so we're hoping to find some money. uh, And
1: and that's another balancing act, right, is uh, how do you encourage the leaders and take advantage of their energy and uh, capabilities in this area Mm -hmm. while acknowledging that it is going to take a long time to bring the whole system to a point where we can get reliable national
2: right um, uh,
1: benchmarks uh, or or even capabilities yeah. in place to do this.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you have to resign yourself to the fact that you you have to create a path for those that are capable of moving forward. I think that's going to happen anyway. Um, we all know that the big tech companies are all looking at the juicy money that's in healthcare and trying to figure out their play mm-hmm. and. Um, so healthcare is going to look different in five years, I believe, radically different. And um, it'd be nice if, if CMS could, uh, conv- I mean, I think CMS has to walk a really hard line. And so they have to see if they can help some people kind of chart the course, really, although there isn't one course um, towards the future. But what we have right now is really not working.
1: And it seems to me, and, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this, that among the concerns and probably one that is a little lower on most people's radar is the accuracy of the data we're getting. Yeah. So we uh, can report, and you know, I think the focus has been on getting everyone to a point where they can report, whether that's getting them the EHR or mm-hmm. teaching them how to actually uh, pull information out of that and report to whatever yeah. entity. But then the second question, and maybe the more important one is, is this data real? How yeah. do we know it's real? It's a
2: big concern, as you know. I mean, I mean, I think NCQA, you know, when we started with HEDIS, it was like, you know, okay, just report anything and, and we'll take it. Um, and then we started to hear stories about what people were doing to get to good results that really had nothing to do with improving care but had to do with running multiple samples and, you know, kind of stuff that, you know, once we heard about it, we said, we have to have an audit process. And so we invented an audit process working with, you know, we have a whole range of auditors out there who are really smart about this stuff and who have helped us evolve what we think is actually pretty good state-of-the-art program. When people are actually getting paid more for higher quality, You can create winners and losers, and the winners might be those that are most adept at playing games with data, which really, I think, I I mean, I think practitioners out there are already disillusioned about how hard this is. And if they start getting paid um, in a way that feels really unfair and not reflective of what they're actually doing, we could lose this um, this whole quality um, movement.
1: Yeah, well, that's uh, something to keep our eyes on. Yeah. And I think without making this into a commercial, NCQA has a lot to contribute yep. toward that, based, as you say, on our experience with HEDIS, but also on um, some of the systems we've developed subsequently. So yep. we will uh, obviously stay tuned on that front. Right. So, uh, as part of our quarterly series where we sit down with NCQA president Peggy O'Kane, we've uh, we'd like to establish a tradition of asking, what are you reading, Peggy? What's on your uh, bedside stand? Uh, what's what's on your desk that you're hoping to get to?
2: I'm reading a novel called There, There. I'm in a book club, and it's by a Native American. And I have read the preamble to or the foreword to the book, and it's, I'm having the book club at my house on Monday night, so I'll be reading <laughs> it a lot this weekend. Some cramming for the weekend. Yeah, That's good. Yeah, Uh what else am I reading? I, I read a lot actually. Uh, I read a lot of things online uh, I actually, one, one of the things that uh, as a person, as a human that I'm worried about is the future of, of tech and uh, privacy and um, AI that may be biased or may be inadvertently compounding uh, certain inequities in our system so I listen to a lot of podcasts I just downloaded a book called uh, Being Human in the Time of Artificial Intelligence by Max Tegmark Mm. who's a guy at MIT which I haven't started listening Mm. to I'm not sure that really lends itself to an (laughs) audio book but yeah so um, yeah I I do read a lot and that is one of the subjects I think that's creeping up on us Um, I just heard today on the radio that Facebook is going to a new model, where you can delete your data and you can have much smaller circles. And of course, my first thought was, "Oh, this is great for conspiracies to be fostered." (laughs) Yes, among (laughs) other. uh, So you know, the dark mirror or black mirror, whatever that show is, (laughs) that thing is playing out in real life. So that's something I pay attention to. And you think about the implications of that in healthcare. There probably pretty dire too
1: absolutely well that was our second question was what podcasts are are, uh, exciting to you now that presumes that our listeners have exhausted the inside Healthcare library we assume they (laughs) will listen to all of those episodes before uh, tuning into another one but but having said that what podcasts whether you're currently listening to or that you've traditionally found really yeah i listen to the daily uh,
2: i think almost every day that's the new york times one i listen to stay tuned with preet preet barara um uh kara swisher has multiple ones i uh, she's the the tech person and um she's so i learned so much from her I, i admire her a lot um does she get into healthcare? She talked about it one day on her. Uh, she has another one called the Pivot, I think. Uh, she's got a number of like spawn of sure. of recode decode, yeah. um, and they were talking about Amazon coming in and making a play in healthcare. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we're all waiting to see what yes. that is. Yeah. Uh, what they painted was kind of a scary scenario where they were going to come in at the low end um, with these kind of um, plans that have skinny benefits and so forth which would be more appealing to young people yeah, and so forth. Yeah, like so. commoditize it yeah, and, yeah. And as they've done yeah, with other yeah. uh,
1: industries. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. All right, well, we will stay tuned on that front and many others. Uh, it's been a pleasure uh, hosting this first uh, quarterly Peggy O'Kane podcast, and uh, <laughs> we'll look forward to sitting down with you again in June.
2: Thank you.
0: Thank you. And there you have it, Peggy O'Kane on the latest in healthcare quality, right here on our podcast, Inside Healthcare. We hope you'll tune in again. Never know when Peggy will show up again, but we have lots more guests and lots more interesting information on every episode of Inside Healthcare. So we hope to see you back. We'll see you again, no doubt.